Hi, and welcome back to Inside the Rope, the podcast where we speak to the leading minds in wealth management. I'm your host, David Clark, and today I'm speaking with Ilan Israelstam, a founder of Apex Capital and also a founder of BetaShares, one of Australia's leading provider of ETFs or exchange traded funds, which have just been a phenomenal growth area over the last 10 years. Please, as always, remember to provide your feedback. I can be reached at david.clark at codacapital.com. Really appreciate your feedback and any suggestions. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy the podcast. Alain, welcome to Inside the Rope. It's lovely to be here. Thank you so much, David. Well, thanks for joining us, Alain. Could you give us, start off by giving us a bit of a background to yourself? Yes, of course. So, uh, I started life as a good old uni student uh, doing commerce law at the wonderful University of New South Wales and uh, decided pretty quickly that I didn't want to be a lawyer. I thought it was a great background degree but didn't want to go into the law. I think it's quite a common thing that people do these days. And I started my world at the Boston Consulting Group, uh, BCG. It's a great strategy consulting firm where you're spending time consulting to all sorts of largely CEO level uh, executives around big business problems. What should we buy next? Should we enter China? Should we exit this business? How should we size up our business? How should we size down our business? And I did that for about five and a half years uh, in New York and Sydney and spent a lot of my time in the financial services and private equity sector. But I quite quickly worked out that I really was keen to go out on my own or at least do something for myself. And uh, as a result of that, I ended up connecting with a couple of uni friends uh, who had been doing things for quite some time together and together we started looking at a variety of different business ideas and settled upon exchange traded funds or ETFs although I must admit it took us about 18 months to two years to actually settle upon that which I think was actually one of the best things we did is really take our time think about the opportunities think about the regulatory environment think about the consumer behaviors we were seeing we'd always had an interest in wealth management we'd always had an interest in asset management and uh, we've been thinking about ETFs for a while, and we finally decided the timing was right uh, to press the button and launch an exchange-traded funds business together at around about the end of 2010. Uh, but that's not without about two years of planning. And to the extent that it's useful to hear what it was that allowed us to sort of push the button, it was a confluence of factors that I think is one thing, if we did anything right, it was, it was timing that, those particular factors. And I'll get into what an ETF is, of course, at a later stage, but just from a business building mm. perspective, that 18 months of time spent looking at things was instrumental. And one thing that we looked at, for example, was the regulatory environment. So people would have heard about self-managed super funds, and many of your listeners most likely would have a self-managed super fund. Uh, that was almost on the way up. So that was a very small part of the market when we started thinking about this area, but we could see the obvious growth and with that growth comes a desire for people to manage their own affairs or have an advi- a high quality advisor manage their own affairs in a much more bespoke way than would otherwise be possible. Second of all, the regulatory environment had allowed what is known as the FOFA rules to come in, which is the future of financial advice reforms. That was uh, essentially a situation where financial advisors were no longer able to claim commissions from product manufacturers. And what that meant is that certain types of products, like the ones we were looking at launching, were going to be on a level playing field to other types of products, like traditional active funds. And that was another big tick for us. Probably the third and almost most important was the global financial crisis, which of course happened back in 2007 and 8. 
I think the global financial crisis, many of your listeners may remember it, some may not. It changed the way people thought about investing and the way they viewed quote-unquote professionalism in wealth management. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is that a large number of people who were trying, who were purporting to help them in ups and downs of marketplaces just did not perform. And the active management industry really came under scrutiny for the fees they were charging and the performance that they actually allowed people to receive under the global financial crisis. And that led to an interest in fees, a heavy interest in fees and a scrutiny on fees, which once again plays into ETFs because they're very low cost. So for all those reasons, we decided to go and launch um, a business which is known as BetaShares and it's exchange traded funds business. Okay. So that begs the question, what is an exchange traded fund? It does beg the question. So exchange traded fund is essentially a managed fund traditional managed fund, which many uh, would be familiar with, which is essentially a fund that is managed by a fund manager, but it is exchange traded. So it trades on the stock exchange like any share. So from a structural perspective, it is a fund, but it happens to be exchange traded. Now, the benefit of that is that it can be bought and sold like a share. So there's no paperwork to to fill in. There's no minimum investment. It is literally just like buying a share, but you still get all the benefits of a fund. And I suppose where ETFs really come into their own, and I suppose the thing they're known for, is that they're often, not always, but often passively managed. Yep. And so what that means is an ETF allows an investor to buy a share market, essentially the whole share market, as mm-hmm. simply as buying a share. So probably the best way to describe this is an example. Let's say one was interested in the Australian shares. They wanted to get a start perhaps in the share market. They wanted to make their money work a little bit harder than cash and property and maybe diversify away from those two asset classes, which pretty much everyone has. An ETF allows you to, with a single trade, get exposure not to just BHP or or CBA or Rio. You know, you may not want to decide between one versus the other. It's quite hard. It requires a lot of skill. The ETF allows you under a single trade to buy, just like any share, a whole portfolio of shares. For example, 200 of the largest shares on the Australian Stock Exchange. So you could buy an ASX 200 ETF, yeah. which means you're going to get a basket of shares according to their weighting in the index. So That's right. the biggest stocks you're going to get more of, the smaller stocks you're going to get less of. That's correct. So and it's very low cost. Um, we've got one that's called A200, and mm-hmm. that's seven basis points. So what seven basis points means is 0.07% which is essentially $7 for every $10,000 you invest. Now that's obviously very low cost, and I would argue there's no low way, no low cost way to get exposure to 200 shares than that. Comparing that to the average active manager who's trying to outperform that index, that might be trying, I think I've seen some data that says they charge about 1% or 100 basis points. Yes. Which is a big meaning. Well over 10 times. 10 times, yeah. more expensive and there's a lot of data to suggest that many of those active managers if not the majority actually end up underperforming that ASX 200 index because once you take transaction costs into account and everything else they're they're below that. That's right and it's around 70 to 80 percent of all active managers for example who are trying to track the ASX 200 would underperform that benchmark. So as you can imagine it's quite appealing to find a very low-cost way to get that simple exposure. You can put it away in the drawer or you can trade it actively, but the point is you've got a very low-cost exposure that's largely going to outperform the vast majority of active managers. 
Okay. That's that's basically what an ETF is. Of course, it goes a lot broader than that, but that's a clear, a very simple. We'll example. dig into that. Most most of these ETFs, I think, and what they're best known for is that indexing. Yes. And the huge growth in that yes. area, which there's a whole heap of other questions around that. Now, I think many of our listeners will be familiar with a listed investment company. Yeah. You know, Milton, Argo, um, some others. Let's talk about the differences between an ETF and a LIC or a listed investment company, an LIC. Yeah, I would say in the main there's two key differences. Obviously, LIC stands for Listed Investment Company. And what that means is that, and this is one of the key differences, is that that listed investment company has only got a certain number of shares outstanding. Just like any company, there's an IPO or a capital raising event, and a certain number of shares are uh, put onto the market for, for trading. The only way you can increase that is by doing some sort of a further capital raising or, or whatever the case may be. What that means is that is what's known as a closed-ended structure. Uh, on the other hand, the ETF is not closed-ended. It can have as many, they're not called shares, they're called units. It can have as many units as it wants, depending on the supply and demand from the market. Now, why is that at all important? The reason why that's important is because as a, as a closed-ended structure, if demand exceeds supply, that listed investment company can trade potentially significantly above its actual true or fair value, which is known as net asset value. So if you trade above your fair value, what it will mean is that there's a whole part of performance that you are getting that is taken out of your control, whether you're the fund manager or the investor. Because of course, that premium could end up becoming a discount, for example, if supply was higher than demand. So it means that there's a component of value in licks which is not in the control of the investor or the fund manager. And for many people, that can be a big problem when it comes to sell or buy. That's number one. Number two is they are usually actively managed. So we already spoke about the difference. They usually are actively managed by a fund manager, and as a result, they usually have higher fees. So I suppose those are the two differences. Just by way of statistic, the ETF industry in our, in our country has been around um, probably really only for around about 10, 10 to 12 years. Mm -hmm. And by next month or the month, month after, it will be a larger industry than the listed investment company industry. Um, so there's nothing wrong with listed investment companies, but I suppose people need to understand the differences, and that, that would be the key differences. And, and most licks, am I right, think that they often trade at a discount to their net asset value, i.e. the basket of shares underneath is actually worth more than yeah. the market capitalization of the company. And that's what I've just basically said in relation to the closed-ended structure. It creates this opportunity for, or this problem, I suppose, where it does trade above its basket of shares, which is almost never the case with ETFs. Okay. I think it's worth just touching on or reinforcing the growth in the last 10 years of yeah. the ETF market, which has been phenomenal. I picked up some data from Morningstar, and, and it, it said that, now it pointed to Vanguard, which I think is probably the largest yes. provider of ETFs worldwide, and, and probably you know one of the key sort of instigators globally of, of ETFs. Yeah, definitely. That um, they had attracted over the last uh, three calendar years $823 billion in new money coming in. Yeah, it's incredible. That the rest of the mutual fund industry, so 4,000 mutual fund firms, all their competitors, the managed funds, had in that same time attracted $97 billion. So that's $823 billion to ETFs and $97 billion to managed funds. So more than eight and a half times over the last three calendar years has flowed into ETFs. So there's been a huge shift. And there's even some suggestion with this huge growth that 
we're starting to see market distortions or ETFs are, you know, automatically Apple and Amazon and these large companies and these flows are automatically providing demand for their stock. What's your view on that? Yeah, so I'll touch first on the size and yeah, you're right. I mean, it has been tremendous. So the ETF industry now globally is larger than US $5 trillion. So that's $5 trillion in exchange traded funds globally. Um, but crazily enough, even with such a large base, it's still growing at around about 20% a year. In Australia, it's growing at about 40% a year, but that's obviously because we're a much smaller market. So yeah, incredible growth. You know, it really has been the fastest growing investment product of our era. And um, there's no sign that it seems to be slowing down either. So really incredible, incredible numbers there. Another few numbers which may interest your listeners, one out of every three trades on the New York Stock Exchange is now an ETF. The largest ETF in the world trades four times the value of the largest company in the world, which is Apple. So every day, the largest ETF in the world trades four times more in value than the largest company, which is Apple, every day. So it's just incredible amount of growth. This thing about distortion, etc. I suppose the way I describe it is, I don't know, can you, is there any particular band or artist that you don't like? You know, I don't know. Oh, crikey. <laughs> I, I, I tend to like them all. All right, well, let's say, for example, you didn't like Britney Spears. Okay. Now, that would be like, essentially, blaming ETFs for problems in the market would be like blaming, this too, obviously, it's way too old an example, but a CD or yeah. a, an MP3 or even iTunes for Britney Spears being in existence. Yes. Essentially, an ETF is really just a wrapper. That's all it is. It's, it's just a wrapper that houses people's views on an asset class. So things like the question about distortions, if people were not buying ETFs, they'd be buying managed funds with exactly the same Apple stock in it, yes. or they'd be buying the stock itself. So really, it's, the, it's just a way to express a view, and there's no evidence to suggest in any way that it's causing any distortion. And you know, to this question around size, even with all the growth I've mentioned, the entire, uh, let's say, US equity market versus the, the ETF industry, it probably still only represents 10 to 12%. So it's definitely not large enough to move markets, and certainly a lot smaller than the managed fund industry you know, taking a view on Apple or, <laughs> or whatever the case may be. So that's the way to understand it. It really is a vehicle. And the thing that moves markets is people's views, not the MP3 that's playing the Britney Spears tape, which is what the ETF is in analogy. Okay, right, yeah. And the wrapper was a holding vehicle, not a wrapper like No, not, cents. that's WR, not RA, okay. yeah, exactly. So, got it. Um, I think it's worth touching on, Alan, the, I, I think the, the base in ETFs has really come from this index passive investing, which in the US is, um, you know, you've got a much more diversified, when you look at the ASX, or you look at the S&P 500, a much more diversified set of companies um, and much more exposure to technology, for instance. Yeah. And one of the arguments has been in Australia, for instance, from advisors or people who may or may not have had you know, experience and wedded into certain products and ways of doing things is, oh, well, look, you know, in Australia, the market's too small and in the, you know, the ASX 200 is dominated by four banks, a couple of retailers, retailers and, and two miners. So you're not getting a real lot of diversification over industry. But I think it's worth talking about passive versus active. And we're starting to see this proliferation within ETFs of all these different flavors, if you'd like, so people can really customize to their, to their view. Um, what, has, what, what have the main changes been in that area that you've seen? 
Well, you've, you've, you've hit on a really great point, David, and I think where ETFs come into their own is providing people with access to things that they may not be able to do themselves very easily or providing their advisor access to things that make the advisor's job, I suppose, more efficient and to an extent more effective. So international exposures via ETFs have been by far the most popular category in the Australian market, which is a potentially surprising thing because obviously Australians have got a very strong home bias. And let me not get you wrong here, there is huge interest in Australian equities ETFs, but it's those international shares ETFs that really allow ETFs to come into their own because, again, via a single trade on the ASX, not only can you, for example, access the largest 200 companies, as I said, in, this, in a particular single share or ETF, you can do exactly the same with international markets. And so, you know, you know, looking at the data in the year to date, June 2018, there's been almost three times as much flow into international ETFs as there has been Australian ETFs. And, you know, again, I'll give an example. Australian investors have for a long time, if they're only investing in the home market, essentially been left behind by this technology growth. I mean, the truth of the matter is we have a few good technology stocks, but nothing like the most revolutionary companies in the world, the Googles, the Amazons, the Facebooks. And, you know, now using ETFs via a single trade, you can get exposure to all those companies in one trade. So, for example, you could trade the NASDAQ 100 ETF, which in a single trade allows you to get exposure to all those names I've just mentioned and more. These are the companies that are changing our world, and investors are realizing this, and as a result, the flows into ETFs have been really significant with our international based. And it goes beyond that, so just in terms of flavors. So first of all, there's the country or you know, specific style of ETF, for example, as I mentioned, the NASDAQ or Europe or Japan. So you may want to get exposure to those other economies, and you can, again, do that via a single trade. But also, you can now think about things a little bit more granu- in a little bit more of a granular fashion, and get exposure to a particular sector. And that sector doesn't have to be an Australian sector, it can now be a global sector. So as it turns out, the best performing, again, I'm using the six months to June 2018, the best performing ETF in in Australia over the last six months has been a global sector, which is the global cybersecurity sector. H-A-C-K is the ticker. The global cybersecurity sector in the last six months has performed at 23%. So 23% performance in six months. Why is that? It's a great secular theme. You know, what else would you want to do but fight the battle against cybercrime? You either can be a party to it by having your credit card details taken away from you, or you can invest in the war against cybercrime via such an ETF. And lo and behold, it's been a great performing fund. And the truth is that you'd expect that cybersecurity to continue to be a great theme going forward. So things like that are really changing the way that um, you know, investors can invest. But you're right, it has gone a lot beyond that. So now we've moved into funds that allow you to invest short when the market goes long. Uh, there are now actively managed ETFs um, that give people exposure to well, things as well. What sort of proportion would be active? And to, and to you know, make it clear to our listeners, we're talking about passive versus active. Passive where you're just owning a certain index, which is normally on the weight of the size of that company, which may or may not be a great thesis mm. just because somebody's a big technology company, may not make them a great technology company, yeah. hard to innovate, et cetera, and, and be agile. And, and active there, you've got someone more akin to a, manage, a fund manager yeah. sitting there saying, I'm picking and choosing and buying these shares versus that, that those shares. Yeah. What, what sort of percentage at the moment are we seeing in active 
ETFs? It's a very new industry, the active ETF industry. Uh, it's probably only two years in existence. Mm -hmm. um, so out of 220 odd um, exchange traded products, yes. I think there's around 16 that are active. Okay, so very But they're smart. doing all right. You know, in the last year to date, I think there's about 16, 17% of flows have gone to active versus passive ETFs. So again, it's largely around well-known managers that people know and trust. And again, instead of using a managed fund structure, they still mm -hmm. prefer the ETF structure. In that case, you're getting the same exposure or very similar exposure, but you can buy and sell like a share. And of course, there's no minimum investment and you can liquidate at any time. And you've got intraday pricing and all the things that come from an exchange traded product. And is there a cost benefit in, in, in that instance? I would say that in the main so far what we've seen in Australia is that the actively managed ETFs are priced at this, roughly the same level as the, you know, as the um, unitized, as unitized structure. Fund. Although, of course, depending on what people use in terms of investment platforms, with an active ETF, you don't have to use an investment platform. So if there's any fees associated with that, you do generate a discount there. Um, yes. But for most people, they're using it as another way to access those managers. So, you know, or some of the big name managers, you know, Magellan, Platinum, Leg Mason, AMP Capital have got active ETFs now in Australian market. Okay. All of this growth, Juan, has, has come about pretty much post-GFC. Yeah. So I think one of the questions we get from clients and, and talking to people is, well, how do these vehicles react when they're put under a huge amount of stress and when there's a, a large sale that comes about um, and, and you know you go through a market sort of finding a market or an exploration type thing. How do you believe ETFs will react if we were to have another GFC type event? Well, I guess the comforting thing, David, is that while the Australian ETF industry is relatively new, the global ETF industry is, is actually not all that new and it most certainly was in, around in size during the global financial crisis in the USA. And I'm happy to report that over that period, there was no scenario where any of the ETFs that were available on the market in the US experienced any dislocation or any issue. And I guess the reason for that is that what people, and I might just answer a question that we get asked a lot, which wasn't precisely asked, but may be useful for mm. your listeners. People say to, say to us this, they say, okay, look, I've looked at this ETF and I'm looking, on the, you know, the, I'm looking at the share tables or I'm looking on the website and I can see that the amount of value traded was you know, $2 million in a day. What if I want to invest $5 million? Does that mean I'm not going to be able to get set? And this is the key. So the thing about ETFs is that the liquidity that you see on the screen is not reflective of the true liquidity of the ETF because of that open-ended structure. So essentially, when one thinks about investing in a particular ETF, the liquidity one needs to think about is how much liquidity is underlying that ETF. So example, Australia 200. How much liquidity is there in the largest 200 stocks in Australia? And that essentially defines the extent to which there is liquidity in the ETF. So if anyone wants to get out, even in a you know, heavy downturn or whatever the case may be, as long as there's liquidity in the underlying shares or bonds or whatever it is that the ETF is tracking, then there will be a liquidity available to the investor. And it's one of the key things that people don't understand. We call it that liquidity on screen as the tip of the iceberg of, of the liquidity of ETFs. Mm -hmm. because Again, if there's more demand than there is supply, we as the ETF manager will simply issue new units onto the market and we'll, we'll go and buy the underlying exposures. And again, as long as there's liquidity there, there should be no problem in terms of buying or selling or any sort of dislocation events. So where you can get into trouble is where there are an ETF that is tracking something that is actually not liquid, whereas the, the underlying of the ETF is not liquid. So 
I'm happy to say there's nothing in Australia that fits that category because ASIC's been very careful about what gets uh, approved. But in the US, some of the, some of the things that are being tracked there are things like reasonably esoteric junk bonds. Well, there's talk of um, a cryptocurrency yeah. um, ETF. Yeah, so if, if, for example, whatever the thing that was being tracked had very little liquidity, mm-hmm. and then there would just not be, there would be no magic there, there'd be no way to create that liquidity, and so in that, to that extent, you could get into a situation where you can't buy or sell. But again, in Australia, I can certainly say there's no ETF that's available that is not over a very underlying liquid product or asset class. And has there been any instances of the price drifting far away from the net asset value or drifting, or could you see that happening in such So the thing about ETFs, again, I don't want to really get too technical, but the thing about ETFs is that uh, in order to have an ETF trading on the stock market, you need to have at least one dedicated market maker. So these guys are essentially incentivized by volume, incentivized by trading. They're not incentivized necessarily by price. They want there to be a lot of volume. So the thing about that particular structure means that if somebody was to offer up to an investor a price that was just way outside of the you know the value, then a market maker would swoop in there and offer a better price in order to get the business. So they're incentivized to offer tight, what is known as bid and ask spreads. But that's not to say that it can't happen. It can happen, and that's why investors should always use things like limit orders when they trade ETFs. But in the main, that natural mechanism of the market maker and the fact that there's an underlying basket of, of, of assets which they can price intraday allows the price to type to, to very, very close to its underlying assets. Excellent. Well, there we go, a crash course in ETFs. Yeah. Alan, thank you very much for your time. I, it, it's just been phenomenal, the growth in this area of the market, market. and you can see why, you know, a lot of great examples. Uh, a lot of great benefits in terms of diversification, cost transparency, um, not to mention the counterparty risk uh, being eliminated. Um, and you know, I think a lot for a lot of clients, they're very, very suitable. And in certain situations, for many other clients, they're also suitable as well. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you joining us. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Inside the Rope with David Clark. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with David by visiting codacapital.com. Any views expressed in this recording represent the personal opinions of the speaker and do not represent the view of any other party. If this recording contains reference to any financial products, that reference does not constitute advice or recommendation and may not be relied upon. Listeners in Australia are encouraged to visit www.moneysmart.gov.au to obtain information regarding financial advice and investments.